Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. So we're going to look at the book of James for uh, seven weeks and we're going to see this common theme that God will want us to pick up and run with and that is that the Christian life is not just theology. It's not to be theoretical and it's not just to be philosophical but it's to be practical. And this is the real message of, of James, that, that our faith should make a difference to the way we live and the way we influence the people in the world around us. In fact, the book of James has been called a practical guide to Christian life and conduct because it emphasises conduct rather than creed. In other words, behaviour rather than just belief that you might internalise. Because who knows, it's not just what you say you believe that counts, but but what is really seen by your behaviour, what you really believe. Jack Hayford said this, the message of James speaks especially to those who are inclined to try to talk rather than walk their way to heaven. We don't want to just talk the talk, as they say. We want to walk the walk. And James writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to challenge readers to live out their faith. And when you read it, you, you, you see some very clear challenging instructions so that our faith is seen by the way we react and respond to stuff and, and challenges and issues in life. And in fact, we'll, we'll look at seven different sections and components of the book of James and of life. So we'll talk about our faith revealed by our trials. And then I think Byron's preaching next, next week about our faith revealed through the way we cope with temptation. And, uh, and then we'll look at uh, our faith through our works, our faith through our words, our faith through our separation from the world. And then our patience and our prayers. And each of those words or phrases summarises, as I said, a different section of the book that we'll discover along the way. So to begin with, just a bit of background. As you may know, James is none other than the brother of Jesus. Or, to be more precise, the half-brother of Jesus, because they shared the same mother. But, uh, you know, uh, Joseph was the father of the, the other uh, brothers of Jesus. Jesus had at least four brothers, we know, from Scripture, and some sisters. So Joseph and Mary didn't stop with Jesus. Some have contended that they they did, but Scripture tells us otherwise. Um, We know that James, interestingly, wasn't a believer for at least part of Jesus' practical life ministry, which is kind of understandable. Because let's face it, it's one thing to grow up with a brother who never gets in trouble. You know, that'd be annoying. Oh, he's a goody two-shoes, you know. But then when he starts saying he's the son of God, James would be like, come on, this is a bit rich, you know? Like he never got out in cricket. He used to score all the tries. He was ducks of the school. I've had it up there, yeah, you know. James will be being in trouble at different times, you know. And now Jesus is like, I'm the son of God. He's like, oh, please, you know. So seriously, I, I, that's, I reckon James would have just rolled his eyes Jesus being baptised in the Jordan, you know, John's there, it's all opening up, and I reckon James just went, oh, come on. And he's just gone on a journey. It's his brother, you know. He's but um, 
there's so it's going to be so fun in heaven, isn't it, to read the backstory, to meet people, and say, you know, Daniel, tell me, how did it feel in the lion's den? You know, what about the fiery furnace? Come on, guys, you know, Abraham, your son. What you I mean? Seriously, you know, there's so many. You know, Moses, did, could you really not talk? Did you say, oh, Lord, was that you just w- wussing out? I mean, were you really stumbling and stuttering? Or you just so many interesting stories, you know? Some of you, Lot's wife. Like, I know, I know, I shouldn't have looked back, you know. Hopefully she's there, you know, and you hear all, all the, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it'd be a bit tough. I'm just, you know, <laughs> you know just hope that <laughs> one mistake wasn't, you know. So, uh so James, get, he does get saved. We know from Scripture that he saw Jesus um, after the resurrection of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15 um, and that he was born again by the time of Pentecost because he was numbered there amongst the believers. And then, and then after his conversion, he was full on. He lived the rest of his life for God. Galatians 2.29 refers to him, sorry, 2 verse 9 refers to him as one of the early pillars of the church. And then by Acts 15, we see him succeeding Peter as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was known as a man of prayer. And tradition says that he had permanent calluses on his knees from being in a prayer position on his knees all the time. That's tradition. Uh, and uh, not scripturally you know, uh, backed up. But uh, tradition also states that he was martyred in Jerusalem in AD 62. Josephus, the... Jewish historian wrote that he was um, stoned to death uh, under the orders of the high priest Ananias. But a good 10 years before his death, if that's when he did die, uh, around 45 to 50 AD, the book of James was written. This letter to uh, initially Jewish believers, Christian people who had come from being Jewish. It's probably the earliest letter written in the New Testament. Excuse me. And he says at the beginning, I'm writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, the dispora, the, those scattered abroad who were believers starting in Jerusalem. So, again, he's primarily referring to Jewish Christians, but of course, uh, it also relates to any believers that have been grafted into the vine, you know, brought in like us who believe in Christ. So, let's read the first 12 verses today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I'm reading from the ESV uh, version. So listen uh, as I read. Verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So we're going to come back to that. That's kind of the key verse for today because it's a real challenge there, isn't it? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat. <coughs> Excuse me. 
excuse me, church. Oh, I'll just, just let me die and be resurrected just for a moment. You're not praying for me. You're just laughing. I'm dying. <coughs> all right. I'm back again. It's all good. Sorry. Oh. All right. <coughs> Sorry, I just got something in my throat that's killing me. All right. I'm still here. Okay, so he says, pray for your pastor, don't laugh at him when he's trying to read the scriptures. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fails, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Well, that verse and the first couple of verses really go together and we're going to come back to that. But in the meantime, we're going to look at this anointed, straightforward advice for different areas of living, starting in verse 5. We'll work our way down, starting there, where he says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Anyone in that category? I think, to be honest, we're all in that category, certainly at times. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, it will be given him. You know, it's interesting that the, the wisest thing you can do in life is to admit that you're not that wise. And then to turn to God, who is the source of wisdom, and ask for some wisdom. The sad thing is that pride gets in the way. And for many people, and perhaps for all of us at some time, that prevents us from doing what we really need to do, the smartest thing, to ask God for wisdom. And pride says, no, 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 don't admit it. You're smart enough. Don't go to anyone, even God. Because let's face it, when you ask God for something, he'll often send the answer via people, especially wisdom. You won't just get an angel privately saying, look, don't tell anyone that you're dumb. I'll give you a little private lesson here. And then you can carry on with the facade that you're really, really smart. And this is what you need to do in life. Phew, thanks for not telling anyone. He doesn't normally do that. He normally lets people see your failings and your stupidity. And then the same people are there to help you with godly wisdom and the word and inner witness. But he'll often use people. And we've done studies and lessons on, you know, all the different ways God speaks. And you can look up podcasts and do your own research and just open your eyes and realize, hey, there's a lot of people around and I can learn from them. Some people you'll learn what not to do. But there are godly people who are there to give you advice either from experience or from an anointed understanding of God's word and God's ways. Hey, I could help you out here. You know, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear. They would have to admit my fault. You know, and we're a bit too proud sometimes. And some people, sadly, are constantly making dumb decisions in life and God's wisdom is just one humble prayer away. And the answer to that humble prayer might be the person right in front of their face saying, yeah, look, I'm glad you asked, finally, because um, this is what you should have been doing for a while. And there's people around us that can help live, help us live our best life, help to build a great life, and they're right there in your family, in your workplace, your parents, your kids. You hate that, learning from your kids. You know, and, you, you know, people, pastors, connect group leaders, politicians, you know, really, you know, everyone and anyone, sometimes people you don't want to listen to are there. So let's not be dumb. 
permanently, you know what I mean, and not admit our dumbness. Let's be smart enough to admit that we need God's wisdom, yeah? And, uh, and then he says, look, verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Well, he says there, ask God in faith, because whether you're asking for wisdom or for anything, we've got to approach God with a level of trust, you know? Hebrews 11 verse 6, we must approach God. We must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We've got to have some trust in God. Because then he says in verse 7, that person, the doubtful person, the person not asking in faith, he must not suppose that he'll receive anything from God. He's a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. He's been tossed around by the wind like a wave. That's a very strong criticism, isn't it? So doubt is really frowned upon in Scripture. Jesus loved it. He was taken by the centurion's faith. Wow, finally, someone who trusts. And you you think, well, it's not that hard, but constantly we can slip to a doubtful position. Like the people in the Old Testament, you think, oh, you guys, going round and round the desert, 40 years, I wouldn't have done that. I'm not so sure. You know, and and it, it says, you know, they could not enter into God's promised land. They did not mix what the word of God with faith. They didn't take on board. And the spies come back and ten of them, you know, two say, yeah, we can do it. The others go, no, 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 we're doubtful. Oh, okay. Everyone believes, believes the doubters. And, you know, so there's a constant challenge between faith and doubt. And uh, there's a warning there for us. We, we, we've got to be careful that our doubt doesn't undermine our faith. And if it does, well, we shouldn't expect to get any answers from God. Our faith will be totally destabilized. Like, look at the waves if you've been out on the beach in the last few days, wild waves, all those windy days, you look out to sea and you just see these white caps bobbing and tossing around. They've got no direction, no purpose. The wind is just blowing them this way and that way. And that's what some people's lives are like. You know, it says um, in the New Living Translation, it says people who live like this have their loyalty divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. I've known people like that. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. They kind of, you know, they, they're dissatisfied with the world. They want to live for God. They know it's right to follow God. They feel the call of God. They understand that everything in the world's temporary. So they're not happy with the world, but they're also dissatisfied with their walk with God because they haven't dived in boots and all. They're divided. They're kind of sort of you know, t- testing the waters constantly. They they put their hand to the plough, but they're, but they're looking back. They, they've they prayed, they've read the Bible, they go to church, but they haven't done it consistently. They haven't given it a, a good go over over a period of time. They they say they're going to follow Jesus, but then they, you know, wander off the pathway when things get tough. And so there's a dividing going on, but we need to be, we need to have an undivided heart, as the Bible says. That's what David says in Psalm 86. You know this verse? Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. In other words, just a simple, clear life of faith that isn't shaken, tossed, turned, easily swayed. My heart's not divided between the ways of the world and the ways of God. I'm just going to believe the word. I'm going to be in church i'm going to be faithful to god i'm going to follow jesus all my life i'm not yeah i'm I'm not i'm not just sort of picking and choosing and walking away if times get tough or this is serious strong faith 
and it's consistent, wonderful living. Got its challenges, but it's the best way to go. And that's what he's calling us to uh, through these clear instructions. And then verse 9 and 10, he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. He says, the sun rises and withers the grass and the beauty perishes, so also the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The NLT says this, the rich will fade away with all of his achievements. So James is really putting worldly wealth here into perspective. You know, he's pointing out that material riches don't really amount to anything in God's kingdom. I mean, money is a good tool to use, right? It can accomplish some great things, but it's not worth focusing on so much as some people do because riches and all life's accomplishments uh, are ultimately worthless unless they're focused on God and his kingdom. They're just going to fade away. In fact, the message translation or paraphrase version, if you want to be technical, it's not a direct translation or an accurate translation, but a, an easy, fun-to-read alternative. He says, verse 10, this way, uh, prosperity is as short-lived as a wildflower, so don't ever count on it. Now, you can count on God and he'll provide prosperity for you, but don't go looking for the trappings of wealth. And, yeah, and some Christians... Even using faith principles can get waylaid by that. You know, we're into prosperity and the Bible talks about it, but some people get a little starry-eyed about the blessing of God and, uh, and that's what they're chasing and they're looking at God's hand, not God's face. You know, not chasing after God's heart as much as what he can do for me and we've got to be aware of that. And he, as I said, he puts it into perspective here. He says, hey, rich people, don't get too carried away. You know, yeah, sure, you've got a few trappings. Well, just use your money wisely because if you start relying on it or you think that that's all that life's about you'll be disappointed it's, it's going to fade yeah and then verse 12 says this blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he stood the test he will receive the crown of life which god has promised to those who love him well ultimately that's talking about getting to heaven you know, just ultimately, like I said, having a consistent faith that gets you all the way to heaven and there's rewards in heaven. There are mansions in heaven. Jesus is preparing a place for you without any power outages, no trees that are going to fall on you, right? You don't have to camp in your living room with your gas burner. It's gonna, you know, it's, it's going to be awesome. So there's, But even I believe there's a sense of a crown of life that we can receive throughout life when we've stood tests. There's like mini crowns, if you like. There's a taste of heaven. There's the, the presence of God, you know, because Jesus said, pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we can receive God's blessing and presence and healing power and, and riches and, and stuff in our lives uh, that are a taste of things to come. And some of that will be rewarded to those who, as he says here, put up with trials, stand steadfast under difficulties. And let's couple that back to verse 2 and 4. Let's read this again and then we're going to talk about trials. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now that's a, just a classic scripture, isn't it? You've heard that before, perhaps? Because he doesn't say, Suck it up, princess, and bear with it. I know it's tough, but you'll get through it. No, he says, Count it all joy. More problems. Yay. You know, it's just so 
really? You know, uh, he says, but he tells us why. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the Greek word here used for uh, trials can also be translated troubles or tests or challenges or even temptation. Same word used in different uh, parts of the Bible translated differently sometimes into, into English because even, uh, you know, the word temptation is associated with a trial or a test because for every trial and test, there's a temptation to fail the test, yeah. right? To give up rather than endure the challenge, challenge to, to, to walk away from God's will rather than to stay in God's will, to, to stay as you are rather than to grow and become more like Jesus, which is what's going to happen if you don't give up or give in to temptation but continue on through the test. Now, the early church had already experienced, they'd only been going for 10 or 15 years and they'd already been persecuted. They'd been dispersed from Jerusalem because of massive persecution. They'd had some very severe trials. They'd been ridiculed for their belief in Jesus. People thought, what's wrong with you, especially if you were Jewish, because they were holding on to what they thought they had a monopoly on the truth and who God is. And uh, there was a, a, a lot of temptation for them to give up their faith walk with Christ and just go back to the way things were, or to go living back into the ways of the world. And today, we come nearly 2,000 years down the track, and there's still plenty of trials in life. You know, it might be different to what they faced back then, but even this week, we've seen, for all of mankind's achievements, how fragile life is in the face of another nature. You know, the forces of nature, you know, uh, are pretty wild. And for some people, that's been a real test. Living with power, some people living with real fear because they're concerned a tree's going to fall on them. Uh, and that's a real issue. And, and there's all kinds of other tests and trials. And yet, right here, we're told, consider it an opportunity for joy. Now, that, that doesn't mean you have to pretend to be happy for the actual problem. He's not talking about being a martyr or a masochist, that you enjoy pain itself. But he's saying, it, you, know, you don't have to be silly and, and pretend to be happy for the problem itself. But he says, know that it's an opportunity because it's going to help you grow in your faith, in your relationship with God, in your reliance on God, grow in your character. Specifically, he says, you'll grow with steadfastness or that word can be translated patient endurance. And that in turn helps us to become more mature because... You know, little kids aren't known to be that patient, but it's not very helpful for everyone if you're at Coles and you start freaking out and throwing yourself on the ground just because there's three people in the line in front of you. It'd be anarchy. Imagine that. You know when kids get to that? Have your kids done this where they... Uh, it's been a while since, you know, Bethany's done it. Weeks. But, um, you know, when they throw themselves backwards, even if they're going to hit the ground, and, you know, they just... All right, but it's only my kids. Okay. But come on. You know, kids, they just throw a tantrum and they're on the ground and it's comical. They're like, Wah! they're on their back, you know. Well, imagine if adults did that. Imagine if we were going around patient. I mean, it's bad enough. Road rage is bad enough. People, you know, having a look or maybe doing a hand motion of some kind or something. But imagine if they got out of the car, just threw themselves on the ground in the middle of the freeway. I can't believe it. He cut into me. I can't. The traffic, it's killing me. I can't. 
Okay, so you get what I'm getting, right? Patient, well, okay, some people do. They're still babies. It's true. But, you know, we've got to grow. We need, so to grow up, you need a bit of patience, a bit of endurance. And if you haven't got enough patience, move to Russia. That's where God sent me to learn patience. It's got a lot better now, but we lived under the bureaucratic, you know, uh, thumb of oppressive, oh, wow. Anyway, so, um, so, yeah, it's good. So, now, look, notice the word test. He says it's a test. Because if you take a test at school or at university, it reveals what you know, what you understand, where you're currently at, your level of experience and understanding about a particular subject. So you can talk all you like about something. You can pretend to know something, but you go in that test. I mean, I could walk around university when Zach was doing engineering. So I'm studying engineering. You put me in a test with him. I'd be just staring at all these physics calculations. And that would then show I know nothing about that kind of high-end maths or whatever he had to go through on whatever subject. And, uh, and in fact, the message version again says this. Consider, this is the first couple of verses in the message. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So, uh, you know, when you go through a test, it, it shows its true colors. Your, your faith, sorry, is, is shown for where, it, where it's at. And then you'll see, wow, I've really got some stuff to work on. It's, I didn't know, you know, what was really on the inside, how strong or, or otherwise fragile perhaps my faith was. I mean, again, you can say, oh, I'm really tough, I'm really strong. You go down to the gym and then there's the weights and they've got numbers on them and you can count them and then people can all stand around while you fail to lift the weight and then they know, well, that's your limit. And then a big tough guy will come along and show what he can do and then everyone's got their limit. And so faith is like that. We've got muscles of faith. We need to exercise our faith. And that's used, and that's what happens when we go through tests. And then we find our faith getting stronger. No pain, no gain, you know, tear the muscle like they say, the gym and all that. And so uh, that's what happens when we go through a test. And notice it's a test of faith. It's not just a test. It's not just a, a problem. It's not just God rubbing you in the dust to prove that he's God and teach you, you know, to, to submit. It's, it's good because if you've got faith, it's a beautiful quality that we want to develop we want to be closer to god stronger in our faith live by faith not by sight and so this tests our faith you can go through trials without god and without testing your faith you just have stuff going on and plenty of people just oh i don't know why this happened and they've got problems going on in their life and they're missing the fact that it could be a test of their faith they're not they're not developing their faith they're just not developing anything they're just handling you know, the fact that life is tough. But there's a reason for the toughness if you're walking with Jesus. And so, you know, you realize, hang on, I'm being attacked by the enemy because I'm a threat and he knows that I'm a threat to his kingdom. I'm being counted among the faithful and my faith is being tested. I'm going to grow through this. And so you get a bit of perspective on the problems. And uh, let's face it, without any trials, life is boring. No, there's limited character growth opportunities without any pressure or stress. You'll never change if you don't face a, a challenge of some kind. You know, people want their life to be better, 
They'd like things to change. They'd like things to be different, but we don't really want to pay a price for that change. We just sort of want it to happen. And that's not really how it works because there are some things that, sadly, we only ever learn the hard way. Right? You can learn some things from watching someone else who's gone through something the hard way or learn, well, I won't do that. Look at the price he paid. That was dumb. I'll avoid that decision. But there are some things in life you just get it when you're out the other side and go, oh, wow, now I realise that was tough, but I'm grow- I've grown as a result. And now I see that God worked all those things together for good and I'm better for the experience. And these lessons don't come easily or cheaply. You have to pay a price. Like they say, you know, there's no test so, you know, there's no testimony without a test. And, and you could say there's no, you know, you want to develop perseverance and, and uh, uh, you know, persistence. Well, you're going to have to face problems and pain in order to develop those qualities. Um, and, uh, and then, as I said, if, you've, if you think about it, if you think of a trial or a test that you've faced, you look back and then you realise, no, now I get it. At the time, it was just a terrible, painful situation. I thought, what is going on? But now I realise it's worked out for good. Like, like I said, you could have a, an academic test. You know, Zach or someone else who's been to uni or at uni or at school, and uh, you pass those difficult tests. Well, then that means you end up getting a qualification. And without passing the test, you don't get the qualification, but now you can launch into a good career. So there's a reason for the test. It could be, well, again, putting up without power and having to camp out in your living room. Well, you've realised I didn't die. I learned to survive. We appreciate electricity. Uh, Maybe you've learned some new survival skills, you know. Not going to pass on that comment. That's a little... (laughs) Someone talking about potential babies being born nine months from down the track. Um, it could be an emotional test that you face. And this is a big one for, you know, people, people will hurt you. People will disappoint you. People will criticise you, especially if you get in a position of leadership. People will unjustly criticise you. And, uh, and for all different reasons, just life, friction, different opinions, values, perspectives, you know, you're going to have people upsetting you and you can fail the test by holding on to that pain and taking on offence. And, and you know what? You'll just get the same test given to you again and again. And sadly, some people, incredibly Christians, who, you, who have the opportunity to go to God and draw on his love and grace and power to forgive, they're still failing the same exam year after year after year. And, and they've been given plenty of chances to graduate, but they're still stuck there sitting in class doing finger painting 101, you know, plasticine, level three or whatever, you know, they're in kindergarten of emotional living. And, I mean, I enjoyed preschool. I hope you did. But I'm glad that I'm still not sitting in the same sandpit fighting over the same Tonka trucks with a bunch of 50-year-old men, you know, because that would look pretty sad and weird. But that's the, that's the equivalent of where some people are at emotionally. They haven't grown up. And so-called Christians can't forgive someone and move on. So if you do forgive them for that hurt, ah, 
then you've passed that little test. And then God will give you another one <laughs> and take you to the next level. And then, uh, but you're equipped. You've learned the process. You've learned how to pray and forgive and, and draw on God's grace and let stuff go and prioritize and see the big picture. And, and so you're better equipped, right? So you're, you know, uh, able to forgive if or rather when something else happens that upsets you. Or maybe you've got a big project that you want to take on, like for ministry for God uh, or a building project, let's say, for example. Maybe you want to build a church facility. Uh, let's say it takes seven years off your, I mean, of your life. Of, not off, Dale. Seven years. Um, and that's what we've gone through with this building. Um, but let me tell you a story uh, that gives a bit of perspective for you to see from my perspective, and then I'll touch on, on Dale's, which he can tell you in more detail himself. But, um, you know, it helps, as I said, you know, about the, whether it's muscle building in the gym or whether it's, you know, forgiving someone before someone else upsets you and so you're not stuck in the sandpit of preschool living emotionally. You know, whatever challenge you face, whatever you get through, it's going to equip you because God will give you something else along the way and it won't crush you. You'll be able to get over it. You'll be able to grow up. And, uh, and, and so, um, you know, for us, we've finally moved in and, and we've finished most of the work and renovations. But it was seven years ago that we bought this property and we've had a long haul with uh, negotiations with council and, and different DAs and, and costs and, you know, building costs and unexpected building costs and uh, raising funds and all that stuff. But um, I was thinking the other day, from our perspective, all the way along, we've just had a sense that God's in control, we're going to get there, it's all working out, and we're not going to just throw a tantrum like little babies in coals or whatever, like I was saying. You know, we're, just, we're going to keep our hand to the plough. Because for us personally, for me and, and our family, uh, we had a building project uh, that went pretty crazy a number of years ago. We were living in Narara, not far from here. First home we bought on the central coast, humble little three-bedroom home. And we had uh, four children, three children when we moved in, and then another one. I can't remember. We got, we got a, but we got a bunch of kids. We had, so we had, we had three children. We moved in. We had another one. So we had only three bedrooms. So we had two boys, two girls in each bedroom. And one of the one of the, the girls' bedroom was the church office when we first started as well. Um, and it was pretty crowded because uh, the kids got bigger and bigger. You know. And if you've seen Hudson lately, you can realise why we were thinking we can't stay here forever. You know, because he'd fill a room on his own. And Luke's the same. Hudson would fill it that way. We could fill it that way you know and they were sharing a room uh and so we thought and dreamt and the finances looked too much of a stretch but we thought god we would love to build a bigger house and then we'd say oh don't worry just think of the russians because we'd go back to how we had lived in russia we'd say oh forget it this is luxury you know compared to the russians it's like oh you know we, we really we lived in a little apartment in russia and I, so we go oh don't worry about it, don't worry and then we we'd say well let's just put it to god because you know, we're not living in Russia, we're living in Australia. You know, maybe there is an opportunity for us to have a, a bigger home and better for ministry too, not just for us. You know, we don't want a mansion. But, and so it was a long deal, but around the year 2000, we were able to buy some land in Lizero 
and uh, we got it at a good price and we did start building a house and we had it all approved and it was a design company that had a really cool design and going to be about twice as big, nice home, had a study, designated study for me and a bedroom for each one of the kids and two living areas so we could entertain people and still have kids chuffed off, you know, playing Monopoly on their own, giving us a break or whatever. Two living areas I reckon is cool if you've got a big family. And so we had this plan and the builder started only to go bust. So the builder just uh, went broke and I got a you know, my lesson out of it was I should have looked at the builder's books because the design company handed over the building work to the builder and they just recommended him and I kind of knew him through the footy club. I thought, hey, great, yeah, I know this guy, yeah, great, away we go. But little do I know, I don't know if you remember, if you've been around for a while, there was this big home home insurance thing going on. HIH, there's a bit of a scandal for some of the companies and this home warranty insurance was a big issue. Builders were struggling to get insurance and this guy was doing work to pay for his other job and, and then it all, the house of cards, you know, fell down. And so our home, they had just put all the timber work up but no roof. They had all the timber work done and the scaffolding disappeared overnight and all the subbies just shoo, took their tools, got offside. And so then we approached the insurance company. So the insurance company, I thought, they must be run by Russians. You know, they were like bureaucratic and, and this was, you know, hey, I love Russians. Danya, I love you if you're here, you know. Uh, oh, Tanya, Tony, yeah, you, you're kind of a little bit Russian, yeah. Of course I love her. It was just, you know, we lived under the communist system or the end of it. So I, when I talk about bureaucracy, it immediately takes me back to living under Russian bureaucratic nightmares. But uh, so the insurance company, I'm, was, I'm convinced they were under instructions to just make things slow and drawn out and hopefully the builder, owner, me, would just say, oh, forget it and pay for it themselves. But we had a contract and we didn't have any other way but to push to get them to try and build it. But it was a huge drama and, uh, and it was just interesting to see God's hand through the whole thing where on one hand there was a problem, on the other hand God had provided an answer. So we rented this little hot box of a tiny house because we thought, oh, it's only going to be a few months. And then it turned out, wow, this is going to be taking a lot, time, a lot longer. And the house we were living in, North Gosford, we couldn't stay there. But then our friends, John and Joan Pinnacle, pastors of what is now Hope You See up in Charmhaven, had a home in Terrigal on two and a half acres that they weren't living in because they'd moved up to new, their new church. And they said, well, you can come and live in this house. And so they had a swimming pool right near the beach, acreage for the kids to play in, and the insurance company finally agreed to pay the rent. And so once they started paying the rent, John said, well, we started with mates rates, but I said, well, we can make it market rate because the insurance company's paying. He said, that's great. So put the rent up. We didn't have to pay it. And that was paying his building fund, fund pledge for the building that he was building, which is now the facility that Mark and Darlene check pastor up at Charmhaven. So... Our problem ended up helping to pay for a church that's doing great stuff that John was building at the time. You know. So we saw God's hand in it and the kids had a great experience with a pool that I didn't have to build and pay for and just maintain for a year or so. But it took us a long time. Uh, the timber work all rotted. Um, when the insurance company finally got their act together, they never even put you know, tarps over the thing to save it. They had to brace the brickwork and rip all the timber off but when they did appoint a new builder, the new builder doesn't try and undercut with cheap materials. They just put their quote in and the insurance company tend to go with the reputable guys. 
and there's a lot more fat in the quote. So they put better structural frame up and all the sorts of things that, you know, you have to pay for additions for. Do you want heated tail rails or tail rails, they'll be extra this, or you want a, a nice hole cut in the, you know, feature wall here, well, that'll cost you extra. That was all sort of included, whatever we wanted. So all these extras, in the end, we got a much better house. And it just took a long time. But as it turned out, we had a great experience living on the property over at Terrigal, uh, near the beach, etc., etc. And so Romans 8.28 God worked it all for good. And all the way along, we just had our faith being stretched and we could feel the call of doubt saying, freak out, it's never going to happen. You know, you're a wave being tossed in the sea. You know, But faith says, no, I'm not going to be double-minded and unstable in all my ways. I'm going to ask God that he'll bring to fruition what we've started and that our you know, finances aren't lost and wasted and he'll help us. And we did get this great house and it took 18 two years, it was about two years, I think, from the time we started to the time we finally moved in. Maybe it was 18 months. It seemed like forever. How about that? You know, it was a long time, but uh, it, it all worked out for good. And, we, and our faith was stronger. And people say, you ask most people when they say, have you ever built a house? You know, people say, would you do it again? <laughs> oh, no. And everyone's got their own version of our story, you know, whether it was finances or council negotiations or neighbours or earthworks or rain or whatever. But I didn't feel so much like I could never do it again. I just thought, well, if God calls us to do a big building project again, I know his hand will be on it no matter what happens. So fast forward to 2007... And we buy this property and it's run down. And if you've been around for a while, you'll remember how incredibly run down it was and how much work we had to do. But I just thought, we, we can do this. And I don't know all the details. I don't know all the technical stuff, but I just got a dose of faith, especially when all the difficulties come. Like, oh, well, you can't do that and you'd have to build another car park and that's going to cost a million dollars and the drainage and you've got to dig up the whole neighbour's properties if you do it this way and... And that's where Dale came in because I'm freaking out on the technical side thinking I don't know what to do but I've still got a dose of it's going to be okay. We're going to do it because we've done it before on a home scale. Now we're doing it on a bigger scale. We're going to get there, you know. And Dale came in because he had, he'd been an owner-builder building his own home. So he's got more of the... So when I saw these requirements from the council, I'm like, oh. he's like, yeah, it's all right. I know what this means. And he's up to speed on all the numbers and letters of oh that's a section j 94.7 that you need to get this approval to do this and all that and so as i said he's got his own story and his own version but uh that helped him also have the confidence that look we've been through a test before we'll get through this test yeah and and we had our own version and so we end up uh you know with a with a church and a ministry center for the community um rather than a pastor burning out, freaking out and leaving town um, because uh, that's a potential temptation, yeah? If you walk away and you don't endure the test and your patient endurance will set you up for the next time you need to employ it. So we've all got our own experiences and versions of tests. That's just a little uh, background shot for you to see where we've come uh, to this project but God's going to use those tests, whatever you're going through or will go through, to help you live a better, richer life with stronger faith. Yeah? So don't walk away or give up when the trying, tempting, tough times come. 
Let your faith be tested and strengthened. Amen? All right. We hope you enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about our podcast so they too can learn to live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at c3cc.org.au. See you next time. God bless.